1: Wednesday night, it's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you, Bengals fans. I'm Anthony Kazenza joined by John Sheeran. John, what's going on, buddy? How you how you hanging in there this week?
2: I'm doing good, man. Bengals are keeping us busy. Had, had a lot of pre writes to do, had a lot of stuff, had a lot of activity. Just want to shout out to everyone at Cincy Jungle because last mm-hmm. week I believe Jason Markham, our boss and our managing editor, said that we broke the week record for page views. So a little, little pat on the backs for us, but it's been, it's been really crazy, really hectic, but that's that's the nature when your team is active in for agency.
1: That's right. When they're active and when you've got a good crew, as you guys have, have put together over at Cincy Jungle, uh, definitely on the writing side. And I'd like to think so on the podcast side, whether it's our show, Ace and Zim's Orange is the New Black, as well as Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. Um, we appreciate the support of all of our shows on the podcast channel. Happy to have you with us. We had the Monday uh, Monday Water Cooler Chat where we ran through a lot of different headlines. We're going to go through a little bit more analysis as we tend to do on this show. But in order to analyze, we do need to go through a little bit of some recent news going on with the Bengals. They have made a lot of different acquisitions in free agency they continued to do so we're we're live here on wednesday night they did so earlier on wednesday john do you want to do you want to do the honors of catching us up here on some of the recent stuff
2: yeah let's go let's go ahead and do that so we last spoke with you i last spoke with you on friday i know anthony spoke to you guys a couple of days ago but since then the Bengals have retained um offensive guard quinn spain to a one-year prove a deal as per him on his twitter and also they've added two more Exterior free agents in the form of Eli Apple and Ricardo Allen. Now, if you remember back in the beginning of the month of March, the Bengals that was their first official reported visit with Ricardo Allen. He was a street free agent, so he was allowed to make contact with the team before the league year began. But three weeks later, he's now part of the Bengals and Eli Apple, which was teased by good friend of the show, Malik Wright. Um, both Apple and Allen have played under Lou Anarumo at some point in their professional football careers. As well as Eli Apple has played with Von Bell for his entire Ohio State career, and also for one year in New Orleans. So now that that brings up like three former New Orleans Saints from the 2019 team: and Trey Hendrickson, Von Bell, and Eli Apple. Um, what, What do you make of those signings, Anthony?
1: I kind of put out a tweet a little while ago, earlier today, saying this: th- these last couple of free agencies maybe have has shown a bit of the sway that Lou Anarumo may have in that in that organization. I don't know exactly the intimate details of that, but when you look at the fact that you you yourself spoke with Carlos Dunlap Senior about the situation with his son and how he was traded and how there was a major disconnect with that. And how Lou Anarumo kind of basically pushed Dunlap out of the door. You've got DJ Readers, a huge signing, especially by Bengals free agency standards, a huge signing last year. Trey Wayne's the same deal. They load up on a lot of different defensive players this this offseason as well. Uh, he's got a lot of sway, and I don't know if if he's just saying, "Hey, you know, the injury situation," or we just need to restock everything and completely revamp what Marvin Lewis had on this roster. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but he is really putting his thumbprint on what he what he wants to do here. That being said, it's it's incredible about you mentioned some of, a lot of these guys have ties to Anaruma, whether it's at Purdue, whether it's at the with the Giants or elsewhere. They have a lot of ties to him. The, the other thing that's really jumping out to me is all of the defensive back signings. They obviously are trying to avoid what happened late last year where they were just down to, you know, their sixth quarterback, cornerback starting, you know, the, a guy who should have been a special team slash spot rotational guy at the back end. You know, you had guys like LaShawn Sims starting games and whatnot, and they don't want that anymore. The same thing happened with B.W. Webb the year before. That, that's not the vision. So obviously, they want to have as many capable bodies as possible, and they want to be as multiple as possible and have a lot of defensive backs on the field at the same time. Those are some of my first impressions with all of this, John.
2: Right. So this is what four cornerbacks and a safety that's been added to the secondary, which was arguably already one of the stronger points of the roster, at least from the top end. But you're right. LaShawn Sims, Tony Brown, uh, Jalen Davis those guys can't be relied on for significant snaps next year and that was what they were trying to avoid so yeah you might think it's it's maybe a downgrade going from william jackson to Ch- Ouzier. and you know we don't know what trey wayne's going to pro- going to provide but i think you're more confident in the back half and the totality of what that secondary looks like and and you're right like w- once they retained or they didn't fire lou Anarumo, they put it all on the lack of talent, the lack of preparedness that the roster was in case major injuries happen. And, of course, major injuries happen. Um, people have talked about, you know, wh- wh- where does Darius Phillips fall into all this? And I th- think he has some type of cryptic tweet. We're not going to get into what player tweets mean because that leads into a whole other thing, and it's rarely <laughs> accurate. But, yeah, I mean, Darius Phillips, I think, still has a place as, like, their cornerback for who can play regard wherever, at slot cornerback or the boundary cornerback. So I think there's still a place on the roster for him. I don't think Eli Apple... Um, necessarily pushes him out of a job per se. But you're right; a lot of connections to Interimo, and Inumo was getting all the talent that he could possibly want. And this is—that's basically what it is. Like they need depth, and there's a lot of guys that they have found that are on the cheaper, more affordable side. And it kind of kind of opens up for what they want to do in the draft. Speaking of the draft, you know, we kind of assumed that the Bengals were going to be targeting maybe an edge rusher somewhat earlier in the draft, but they're actually meeting currently, still meeting with an edge rusher and Ryan Kerrigan. Who, guess what? Also an in guy. So Ryan Kerrigan spent the last 10 years as a first round pick with the Washington football team. He's their franchise leader in sacks, tackles for loss force almost just an all around solid player, part of that historical 2011 first round class. But, you know, there are rumblings that maybe he wants to still be a starter, but he's looking for other opportunities. So Ryan Kerrigan, potentially a rotational piece. What do you think of him?
1: If there's something left left in the tank, sure. And he, he has proven to be effective even up there in years. I, I'm not opposed to it, especially if the numbers make sense. But what, what I'm worried about, John, and this was a question I was going to pose back to you. I mean, if you do sign a Ryan Kerrigan, I assume that's going to be another rental type one-year, maybe maximum of two-year type of deal, given where he is in his career. You know, you're talking about, where what the Bengals are trying to achieve going into the draft, lessening the the desperate needs and really trying to go best player available. And I like that strategy, but they're also not setting themselves up for long-term sustainability with a lot of these deals. Now, Wouzier is a multi-year deal. Trey Hendrickson's a multi-year deal. Hilton's a multi-year deal. And those are guys that they are wanting to count on, obviously, going forward. But a lot of these others are one-year deal. The Reef deal was a quote-unquote two-year deal, but there's a, it's a avoidable year at the back end of that. So I understand the salary cap's a lot different. So maybe that's what is, is mo- more what we're seeing with some of these deals. And I get that. But I think there has to be a concern aside from the Bengals not really investing in another offensive line piece, not really investing in wide receiver this, this free agency period, but also just kind of the long-term viability of some of these signings. It's just kind of a little bit of Band-Aid here, Band-Aid there. Not a lot of long-term answers, at least from where I sit. I don't know what you think.
2: Well, I think when you go back to that uncertainty about, you know, some of these guys are on one-year deals. Most of them are on the defensive side of the ball. You have Ogan Joby as a one-year stopgap at three technique, even though he's still young and he can still be retained because he's got some years left in the tank. Like you said, Kerrigan would probably be on just a one-year deal, maybe a two-year deal with like a team option. um, Eli Apple, Ricardo Allen, one-year deals. They can get out of Ouzi after a year or two. So, Maybe that kind of signals what they feel about in but they would just want to give him talent right now to see if he can make it work. But if he still can't make it work in year three, you got to think that he's the first one out the door. And a lot of these guys that he brought in, they're kind of following him falling behind him. But I guess we can kind of transition more towards the internal side of things because Quinn Spain brought back at one of the guard spots as a guy that they're familiar with. He've started five games last year, right guard, but we all know him as a career left guard. And, you know, as soon as they didn't really sign anybody, at the guard spot. You had to figure that he was a likely candidate to, to be brought back. Not not for the sake of being a locked in Sharpie and a starter one of the guard spots, but the guy that can't compete and give them depth if needed. But you know, I think the list is getting bare about you know guys that their own free agents that they're likely to bring back. Maybe you're just left with a handful of guys. But with Quentin Spain, I think as soon as they didn't sign any guards in the first week of free agency, and they weren't interested in any of the, the, uh, the more of the top options, I think Spain was a very likely candidate to brought back to be brought back, and there there you had it.
1: I think the Bengals are getting a little bit into the overconfident facet that we saw hinder them really the past couple of years, where they brought back Frank Pollock, and they think that that is. And I think we all agree that that is a, an upgrade, not only on their staff, but just should boost the overall performance of the offensive line from the last couple of years. But that's not the cure all. You know, we, we've talked on this show, John, about they need the guy. And that's why I think a lot of people, it's funny, I'm seeing a lot of people in, the, in our chats saying, where's the offensive lineman? Where's the offensive? Well, technically, they signed a new starting right tackle, right? They basically have a new starting guard of some kind from week one of last year in Quentin Spain. He, he joined the team late and started games. So they've got two new starters from week one last year, but they aren't the needle movers, right? They They aren't the Joe Toonies. They aren't, you know, a Kevin Zeitler. And you you were we were all kind of told that the Bengals weren't going to sit on their hands, and they haven't. They've had a lot of signings to this point, but they've been a lot of... Okay, okay, good move. Okay, it uh, makes sense. Okay, it's not, it's not jump out of your seat and and uh, someone that you feel is going to be a major boost to the roster. You you can see some marginal improvements from some of these guys. Maybe like you said, and Awuzie is lesser talented than a William Jackson, but maybe in the system it works better for his skill set. You know, I mean, there's there's all kinds of those types of things. I, I just you know. You go back to what you talked about a few weeks ago on the show, John, about quality versus quantity. And they seem to have preferred quantity over quality in this free agency period for better or for worse. I think there are pros and cons to that because they can plug more roster holes that way. But, you know, you're talking at max, probably marginal improvement. And like I said, on these one year deals, you know, that's again, just kind of a short term fix. And I'm just worried that they like the offensive line more than, than us dummies on the outside do. And we may be in for similar results. I hope not.
2: Yeah. It's really all going to depend on what they do in the draft. I think that's what a lot of us would have preferred to avoid, not from the sake of just like, you know, seeing it over and over again, but just them kind of learning from their quote unquote mistakes. I think with Spain, you know it, it, on the surface, it looks like, yeah, they brought back two guys that started last year, and they're going to sit on their hands at that spot. I think if you've been following what they've been doing on the pro day circuit, you would know that if there's a quality offensive lineman entering the draft, the Bengals are interested, they know who he is, and they're going to be interested in drafting him relatively high. They've set themselves up to address the offensive line and, and wide receiver, like you said, in the draft. Like, those are the two glaring holes that remain on this roster, at least at the top part of the roster. Like, they need to a starter wide receiver and a starter at offensive line whether it's at right guard or right tackle depending on wh- what you actually feel about riley reef when the season comes around so yeah like spain again it d- doesn't really move the needle like you said but i think it, it's probably better than most of the options that they could have went to at this point and mm-hmm. a week into free agency I'm, I'm sure they prefer to have a familiar face and you know credit to spain he did his best last year coming into Cincinnati in the middle of the season, playing like four different positions in like a matter of four weeks, never really got acclimated, got his feet wet, maybe with a full off season, you know, get, getting into slightly better shape, getting with a better scheme. Maybe you see one more decent year out of him. I think that's the hope that that one of him and Suefield just gives him a decent guard and just, you know, just take care of the left guard spot and then, Like you said, they're really setting themselves up to just attack offense in the draft, which if you look at the past two years and the first years under Zach Taylor, offense, offense, round one, round two, 2019, offense, offense, round one, round two, 2020, we're probably getting the same thing again this year.
1: That's what it's looking like and what players they are. I mean, you could go. You know, we're, we're seeing a lot of questions here in the live chat. You know, Leatherwood in the second round based on his his recent workout and, you know, maybe he goes Sewell and then wide receiver, whatever that may look like. I mean, they, there are a lot of different possibilities. Throw Kyle Pitts and his immense workout in the mix there. Who knows how high the Bengals are on him at this point in time. But I agree with you. I think, I think the offense at this point – with all of the investments that the Bengals have made on in free agency on defense the past couple of seasons, a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that Lou Anarumo is vouching for because of his history with them. They, you know, that maybe he just prefers experienced players on that side of the ball and guys that just have been in that in that system. He wants to run more, you know, in the past, and that's what he is more comfortable with. And then that's the vision that Zach Taylor is selling to the team that we got to get the long-term answers are on offense and that's what we can get talent for cheap in the draft uh, as compared to free agency, you know? So there's a little bit more of a risk there without established NFL players coming in the draft. But, you know, I, that's like you said, I think, I think that's where the Bengals are headed at this point. They're, they are going to go offense early and often, I think in this, in this class, that's what this free agency period has taught
2: us. I think also you know, there's skepticism, obviously, amongst the fan base about whether or not the Bengals are taking the offensive line seriously. And it's warranted based off of what they have and haven't done. But I also think that it should be noted that we don't know for a stone cold fact that what they did in free agency was the initial plan all along. I believe Jeff Hobson, Bengals.com, said that they were initially looking at the top guards in free agency, including Joe Tooney, including Kevin Zeiler. And when they realized that they were going to get outbid or they didn't want to pay him that much, they kind of reverted back to plan B which was okay make sure that you have someone competent to replace Carl Lawson and then just kind of fill out the defense and then you know worry about some other holes later so I think initially they were going to take the offense line seriously and put their money where their mouth is when unfortunately when the money became too real like it like usually is at that position they kind of bowed out and went to plan B which is exactly what they did last year Uh, another position that that they don't pay often or ever linebacker they were going to look at those serious options. And when they didn't pay for those guys, they went to plan B. They went DJ rear and Trey Waynes It's it followed the exact same path as last year, where they went to plan B and they attacked the same position groups as they did last year. And, and it's not like the defense didn't need it. We were all on the, on this path of just build around burrow, worry about the defense later. I don't think that's how they want to do it. I, I think they would want a more balanced approach and with how it ended up working out and, and how some players and some top targets Went elsewhere for bigger contracts. They adjusted, and at the end of the day, they still filled a lot of needs.
1: They did. I, I'm not sitting here saying I'm unhappy with their free agency period. I think they've done a, a good, a good job in addressing a lot of roster deficiencies, but there are still some glaring ones. Then the one thing that drives me nuts, John, that is just, I, I guess, following this team a little bit, uh, you know, for, as, for a long time as I have, you know, I guess. What bothers me a little bit is is the uh, the Bengals were in it till the end, right? The Sheldon <laughs> Rankin, the Sheldon Rankins thing, Kenny Galladay. You know they had an offer out there. They just couldn't match it. Well, they could match it. They wouldn't match it. Is is more the the light here? And I guess you know I I you don't want to overpay. I understand that. I guess I'm just a little bit perturbed in the fact that we're in a critical Zach Taylor era year. We would think for his future with the team. And if he really does have the sway that we think, and Lou Anarumo has the sway that we think, it would just be nice if they just push the boundary, push push their comfort level out a little bit and maybe make one of those signings where you go, wow, there you go. That really helps you out, a a Rankin signing or a Galladay signing. That really helps you out going forward. Maybe it ends up not making sense when you look at Galladay and what he ends up doing with New York or what have you, but it just... You wish that they would just push that boundary a little bit further where where you say, okay, they, they got out of their, their comfort zone a little bit. I like what I'm seeing here. I like overall what they've done, but I, I would be a little bit more enamored with things if we didn't hear more of those reports, I guess.
2: It doesn't help that the one time that they did do that this year, it was for Trey Hendrickson, and it just looks a little bit worse because – you lost a great player in Carl Lawson, and you signed a player that no one really expected to get that much total money. But there was a report from, I believe, Justin Anderson that said that the Bengals at the end of the, at the end of that night, after they lost Lawson, kind of sweetened the deal a little bit to make sure that he didn't go to Cleveland or Minnesota, or the other teams that were bidding for him. So they did, I guess, do that with Trey Hendrickson. But I think people would have preferred if they did that on the offensive alignment, though.
1: Right, right. So. I guess where we can transition before we get to a lot of other items on, on the docket tonight, you know, we're talking a little bit of free agency, what the Bengals have done, what they will done and maybe where they're headed. We've got a state your case coming up. So we'll get that segment going for you. And we are going to do a mock draft using a simulator. We'll be doing one of those now that a couple weeks of free agency are in the rear view. So we'll, we'll get to that as well. But before we do, John, I mean, we kind of asked the question before what what's what's going on at wide receiver. Is that, is it just that's, that's what they're doing at number five. Maybe they move back and grab one of the top guys, the Alabama guys get another pick. Is it top of round two again? Like they did with Higgins. What, what are you feeling at this point?
2: So I think the best way to explain this is also to kind of tease the state of your case for that. Cause I'm going to be talking about something very similar with that. But I mean, at, at this point, most of the receivers that are available, like they're not pushing the needle, which is kind of what we alluded to at the beginning of the show. You know, they, they could sign, you know, Demarcus Robinson or Willie Snead. But at the end of the day, whoever they sign, it's not a long-term answer. And it's not someone that will convince you to not take a, Jamar if chase, be staring you in the face at number five. So at this point, I think, you know, they're not in any rush to sign any one of these guys because the difference between them is so marginal. But at the same time, if they've backed themselves into this corner or receiver is an obvious hole on an, in the starting lineup because they're not going to want to have Auden Tate be the starter in 2021. Then the receiver who's looking to make bank next year, was signing a one-year deal, is going to say, do I, "Do I really want to join this team when they're probably going to draft someone younger and better and kind of you know push me out of the starting lineup, down the depth chart, and I don't really get to maximize my?" Bet. I think that's why uh, Sammy Watkins didn't necessarily want to negotiate with him. There was a report or there was rumor that the Bengals reached out to Sammy Watkins just just to check base to see if he would be interested. And Sammy said, you know, I would prefer to to seek other options because I think he kind of knew that the Bengals would be in the market to draft a receiver very early in the draft and implement him in the starting lineup like they did with T. Higgins last year. So unfortunately, at this point, because they didn't get a Kenny Galladay or a Josh Reynolds or one of these other guys that we thought they were going to be in on, now it's at to the point where they kind of back themselves into a corner. They know they're going to take one early. And I think a a veteran kind of sees the writing on the wall there.
1: It's a good point. It's a good point. And I know we're going to get to your state, your case here. You know, you're seeing a lot of a lot of comments in the live chats about, you know, can't can't throw the ball to Jamar Chase if you don't protect Joe Burrow or if Burrow's on his back and can't, you know, all all of those sort of things. I get it. There are perceived generational talents in this draft. Some believe Panay Sewell is that some don't think that a lot of people think Jamar Chase is that I think you and I are are on the same wavelength, perhaps on that, John um, Kyle Pitts is another one as well. And then you've got a number of, of other players that you think could come in and contribute right away for the Bengals. So it seems like they're going to be in a good position, even with the glaring needs that they have, if they stay at number five, if they move back and collect a couple of picks, definitely a five they'll have their, their, pick of a couple of blue chip prospects i would think depending on how the first couple of picks play out probably quarterback heavy but um anything else we should update all the folks on before we get to your state your case
2: so yeah just real quick some of these contracts aren't official yet i believe mike thomas um kevin huber quinn spain Carter allen those deals aren't known just yet but just just estimating based off of what they're they're likely going to get and where the salary cap is now, the Bengals are at 62 contracted players unofficially. And I believe their salary cap number should just be north of 20 around the 21 million mark. So that's kind of where we're at from a financial standpoint.
1: In terms of room at this point is is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, there's always the, the rookie pool uh, (laughs) discussion. And, and however, I know Jeff Hobson likes to throw that one out quite often. So there's all, there's always that to account for as well. But, um, yeah, good, good update there. We'll we'll get to state your case in just a second here. Just want to remind folks you can always join us live, whether it's for our Wednesday night show with John and myself, our water cooler chat that we do on Monday, catching you up with all of the headlines throughout the league and with the Cincinnati Bengals, or our frequent listener questions live. You can get all of those. Join us live on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that. There's a little icon right under John's left shoulder there. You can click that for our YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to our channel with with our show, Ace and Zim's Orange is the New Black, and Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's itunes stitcher spotify all the major ones we're on all the major ones so check us out leave us a rating if you could too we appreciate it we always as always appreciate the support john i saw someone i i think it was i can't remember the name maybe anthony thompson in the live chat saying he's joining us live from australia which is just pretty cool to see when you got we've had people join us from scotland all across the u.s australia pretty cool we 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 love all you guys and gals we love all of you
3: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S Y L V A N 29.com.
1: Well, John, let's do it. Let's get to your state, your case.
2: So this week's state your case, it's going to involve a player that's very near and dear to our hearts. We've gotten to know him a lot this past week. We followed his Twitter a little bit. We've wondered, is there been contact? Has there not been contact? What is going on with Trey Turner? Now, Trey Turner, to me, I've, I I remember you know, following him coming out of LSU in the 2014 draft. I thought he was a really good draft prospect, and he's surpassed Every single one of my expectations, personally, to become a five-time Pro Bowl guard, to to sign a four-year, like $45 million extension with the Carolina Panthers back in 2017. It was really great to see him succeed because I was a a big fan of him coming out. Unfortunately, the Bengals drafted both Will Clark and Russell Bodine instead of him. So, yeah, big scars for 2014. But now... Trey Turner is available on on the open market as a street free agent since March 12th. And every single Bengals fan from Australia with Anthony to Anthony in Los Angeles has said, why have the Bengals not signed Trey Turner? What is going on? So I I want to defend, I guess, the fan base for their infatuation with a guard that in the span of two years has been concussed, traded, injured more, played terrible, and then cut again in a span of less than two years, because at this point he, he is clearly the only offensive lineman available that has any sort of past pedigree. Like y- you could look at basically every single offensive lineman left on the board for the Bengals to consider. And he, and Turner stands out as a guy who does at least have that past production and at least the youth and the upside to retain some type of form that he once was And this really all stems from, like, I think Paul Jr. got on the soapbox and said, Bengals fans are just going crazy about Trey Turner, even though he's had a rough two years. And the Bengals obviously aren't that interested because of what's happened. But I understand why fans are up in a a rage like this, because the Bengals still haven't really signed a a guard outside of Quinn Spain. And Turner is still the best one available, aside from Larry Warford. We haven't even heard anything about Larry Warford ever since he opted out last year so we don't even know what's going on with him what his plans are but I understand why fans have been craving Trey Turner just because he's the best player at their biggest need but I think there's a parallel with what we originally talked about with wide receivers and why veterans might not want to come here if veteran wide receivers know that the Bengals have locked themselves into drafting receiver early veteran offense linemen absolutely know that the Bengals have locked themselves into drafting an offensive lineman. If you're Trey Turner and your best case right now is to just sign a one-year deal to up your value, you're still 27, 28 years old. You have that past ability and production on your side. Some team is going to eventually want to take a chance on you, even though, again, you've been traded and cut in two years and haven't had a good season since 2019. If you're Trey Turner, you want to you know use this opportunity to up your value and get a new deal in 2022. Are you sure you're gonna be able to get that with the Bengals? Because every Bengals fan wants them to draft Panay Sul. And if they don't draft soul they want them to draft someone in the second round. Regardless of who they draft, they're gonna be starting. Like the guy who they drafted offensive line is gonna be their right guard in 2020 in 2021. He's gonna be playing next to Riley Reef. If you're a Trey Turner and you sign a one year, like I don't know, three, four million dollar deal, how much security do you have that you're actually going to get the playing time to maximize that one year prove it deal? and gain something new on the market. So at this point, I understand why the Bengals and Trey Turner haven't really been on the same page or haven't even been in contact because it might be exactly similar to what the situation is going on with Sammy Watkins, where it's just like, you know, I know you guys have a need, but I I know you're not going to stop with me. I know you're going to be drafting somebody. It it makes sense why the Bengals are more looking at guys like Nick Easton and Brett Jones, you know, career backups that have positional versatility that could start if they absolutely need to just to get a body there and not going after a guy that may not want to come here because he kind of knows what's going to happen in April.
1: They don't pay guards. They do, they just don't pay guards. I mean, that's the, they, we could have, we, we guessed all along that they were going to break that mold and big, spend big money on Joe Tooney, maybe even Kevin Zeitler. They, they just don't, they don't want to spend money on at that, that position for veteran free agents. There, there's, outliers that we can point to Bobby Williams and, and, you know, maybe a couple of others here and there, but for the, for the long history of the team, they just don't spend a lot of money on guys who are strictly guards. Now there are guys who are guard tackles like a Stacey Andrews that they paid some money to. I think he was franchised at one point, franchise tagged at one point guys that have some positional versatility, maybe like an Anthony Collins, they re-signed him a couple of times. I think they tried him at guard a little bit, but he was primarily a tackle on both sides, Eric Steinbach, very valuable left guard, a guy who should have been a first-round pick. Bengals picked him at the top of the second round, was an outstanding guard, got paid elsewhere, had an outstanding career with the Browns in a little bit. I think he had a stint with the Dolphins. Kevin Zeitler, still going strong, still performing well, first-round pick. The Bengals just don't pay these guys. They don't pay the veterans at at guard. That's just the reality of it, and they are hoping and banking on the fact that whether it's at – pick five, whether it's a move back somewhere into the first round, whether it's in round two, round three, they can strike gold again in the way that they did with a Kevin Zeitler, with a Steinbach, have that player for four or five years. And then, you know, when it comes time, hopefully the productive player, when it comes time to pay them, that money's probably going elsewhere, unless there's a a real team-friendly deal that that player is willing to accept. So I... There's also, I, I don't know the demand for Turner around the league at this point either. It seems to be kind of minimal if he hasn't been signed to this point. Um, but I, I just, to your point, John, I, the Bengals just, they, they're not over eager in signing big contracts to that position.
2: First of all, big shout out and recognition to Clint Bowling, who did get his second contract with the Bengals for like five years, 25 million. But you can see five years, 25 million, it's five million It's nothing close to what Kevin Zyler got that they, they, they made that choice a year ahead of time and because right. Clint Bowling was going to be more affordable and that's like the only situation where they they have shown to be comfortable if the guy's affordable and the guy has shown to be productive so I, I don't necessarily think it's the money thing with Turner I don't think he's going to command that much like I, I would be at this point shocked if he got a deal that was worth more than like five or six million I think if that's the price then the Bengals would potentially be willing to pay for it because they know they have a there. I think, I think it's still just a matter of opportunity where it's, and honestly, this, this whole thing is, is attributed to Darth Noob Saban on Twitter. He like mentioned the topic uh, initially yesterday and I'm kind of stealing off of him, but I think, I think it's something that's worth, you know, talking about because it's just a different angle. It, people talk about, you know, free agency being in two way street where it's, there has to be mutual interest on both sides. And I think the Bengals are still interested in bringing in a guard it's just that you know they have to convince the guy that you know he's going to be the starter, or if he's not, he's going to be a vital backup, and that may not may not always be applicable or attractive to some of these top names that Bengals fans want.
1: The, yeah, the only the only way you could really sell it, it to someone like Trey Turner a short term contract is you know hey this is kind of the best that's out there if you want to try and up your value because his value has decreased based on his PFF score last year. You mentioned some injuries and whatnot after having a stellar career prior to that you know, they can sell it. Hey, this is kind of the best that's on the table for you right now. You can boost your stock, if you will. And when the salary cap changes next year, you can maybe go parlay that into a better contract. You know, we'll draft a guy, but you know, we're going to groom him and you're, you're our entrenched starter. Maybe that would be the only way you could really sell it. And maybe the Bengals aren't even committing to your point. Maybe they're not committing, you know, maybe there's an interest there, but it's not necessarily a full commitment to starting. And Trey Turner's probably saying thanks, but no thanks given my my past
2: right and if they sign Turner and he doesn't do well in training camp but he's been he's being paid like a starter and say the Bengals draft you know a guard in like the second third or fourth round and he shows to be like a Christian Westerman type where he's just clearly better than the entrenched starter you know and the Bengals don't start the rookie they start Turner who's just not You know, up to up to speed, and he unfortunately doesn't regain that form. Then I'm sure Bengals fans would go crazy and say, like, this is Marvin Lewis all over again, where they're just playing the veterans because of financial status and not paying the promise to young guy. I think they are committed to drafting a guy very high and playing him at right guard, and just seeing how that works out, because that's the one remaining hole left on this offensive line, and it's a very important one. But it, it's not something that has to be filled with one of these top guys left on free agency. I know there's just hesitation with asking rookies to play there, but I think the addition of Riley Reef will definitely make that transition better.
1: If you were to guess, I mean, do you think Trey Turner ends up with Cincinnati, or do you think that they are just? maybe flirting with them a little bit. And it just turns out that they go interior offensive line for a couple of picks in, in high and middle rounds in this draft. And that's the route they, they decide to go with and rely on Frank Pollock.
2: I think before we get on the air next, next Wednesday, they will sign a guard. I don't think it will be Trey Turner. I think if that was going to happen, it would have already happened by now. The only way I think they sign Trey Turner is, is if he's somehow still available in like the summer and they just need camp bodies and maybe they suffer an injury and he's just looking for work at this point. I think he's keeping his options open for an opportunity where he can be assured that he's going to start. Because I think again, five Pro Bowls, 27 years old, he, he has that on his side and I think he's going to try to work with that until he can't.
1: I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's going to be more like Easton or someone like that that can come in and, a couple of, uh, bring the versatility gene, if you will, up, up front, and whether that's as a spot starter, maybe it's someone that maybe can carry the, the center position even uh, if Trey Hopkins has a setback or if they want to kind of maybe ease him back in a little bit, maybe it's someone that can start a game or two. I, I, I That's where I more foresee it, and then they go uh, a little heavier at that position in the draft, but uh, good stuff, John. Trey Turner still out there. The Bengals may or may not be interested, and if they are, it's a lukewarm level of interest at this point, I think. But that was this week's State Your Case from John Sheeran. we got the fancy graphics and everything for that segment now. So let's move on to kind of the main event, I guess. Not that your state your case wasn't a main event, John, but the main event, I guess, is a mock draft. We've only done one of these, right, so far one. this year? Yeah. Uh, we did, I think, three or four maybe last year. We try not to over-inundate with this just because everybody does these, and we kind of try and more make it a little more of a milestone event where you go before free agency – after a couple of weeks of free agency, and then maybe right before the draft, we'll probably do another one there as we get a clearer picture on things. But let's uh, bring up the screen here. John, you are, we're going to use a mock draft simulator. You are using pro football Focus's mock draft simulator. Are you not?
2: Yes, I am. And I'm doing that because I feel like most of our fans our listeners uh, are familiar with this. They've been using it all over Twitter. And also they have these nice little, Sidebars that you can adjust for the settings. So we have obviously the speed, which we're gonna go fast, uh, care for positional value, overall randomness, and draft for needs. So how exactly do you want to do this? You wanna you wanna maybe up the randomness a little bit? Maybe up the draft for needs like what are the settings that you want?
1: Um you know I, maybe maybe I don't know man. I think it's pretty pretty solid kind of how you have it, right? Um maybe up for care for positional value maybe a little bit. I don't I don't know. I think it's pretty pretty solid how you have it, right? Tempted
2: to go randomness all the way, but I feel like just Yeah, maybe up a little bit.
1: Point. Maybe maybe up a little bit on that too, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah this, this, this is probably good. And then let's let's go yeah, about here for draft for needs and let's chill down the speed just a little bit so we can see who's getting picked. So, let's go I I think the first one we did back in January that was like three rounds I believe that was Panay Sewell, um Jalen Phillips, and Landon Dickerson. So we went offensive line, edge, offensive line again. That was three rounds. You want to go four rounds, just add on one one more. I'm, I'm not not too keen on every single day three prospect out there, but I think most most people are. So let's go four and, rounds here.
1: And I think last time also we did we were offered trades. We did not take them. Uh is this we are including trade options in this one or are
2: we not? Yeah so I think they give you trade offers, and we can look at them. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just... Yeah, let's go ahead and entertain some trades. Okay. yeah, Let's do it. All right, let's All kick
0: right. it
2: off. Pretty ideal start. You had Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Devonta Smith, and Micah Parsons go in the top four. So, basically, every single one of on the Bengals board, except maybe Devonta Smith, is still there. Okay.
1: So... Yeah, Devontae Smith went three. Um, oh boy, this is this is the the perfect storm. You've got Sewell, you've got Chase, uh, and you've got Pitts in there. You've got Waddle if you if you would want to go that route. I'm tempted here myself, John. Um, I, oh man, I, I say Sewell, but I, Jamar Chase is really really striking me there. If you if it came down to this choice for you, which would you prefer? I know you're a big Chase guy.
2: I, I've been rattling with this pretty frequently because it's just a topic that's dominating Bengals Twitter. And I feel like the conversation is not really going anywhere. So I'm just going to take this opportunity to say that I think at the end of the day, Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase are 1A players. And Kyle Pitts is a 1A player too. I don't think Pitts is going to necessarily be considered all that much by the Bengals. But I think there's just nothing really separating Chase and Sewell aside from the positions that they play. And if you trust the data, Wide receiver is more valuable from an individual standpoint than offensive tackle. So if if it was up to me, I would go chase in this scenario. I think if, if it's the Bengals, my guess is they would go Sewell, but for the sake of argument, like, I don't think they're going to trade out of this, of this scenario if they have both these guys on the board, but let's, let's just see what, what trades that they have. So the Denver Broncos are looking to move up from pick nine. And then you have the Patriots, Washington, and the Teens. So I think the farthest the Bengals will move out of this situation is probably nine. And if you move out here, you can probably still get someone that you really like at nine, but also you're missing out on probably your top, if not top two, targets as well.
1: Yep. Uh, I'm. I. Uh, you know, I've been all over Pensul, Pensul, but as more and more time passes, i and the fact that the Bengals have done. Basically, next to nothing to address the wide receiver position. I mean, they got Mike Thomas, right? That's that's basically who they've re-signed. They lost Alex Erickson. They lost A.J. Green. They lost John Ross. So three of their four un- unrestricted free agents are gone. I'm tempted, even though I've, I'm a build-the-trenches guy, I'm tempted maybe to go to lean towards Chase here.
2: I, I think we, we should just go Chase just to see – what, which offensive linemen are available, because I think we're going to find someone that we're going to want at the top of the second round. So let's go, okay. Chase. All right. I know everyone wanted to trade back and take pits or whatever. That that might that may have given us the highest GM grade for whatever PFF algorithm that they use. But I think, again, if that situation does happen, I think they would potentially entertain an offer, but it would have to be an offer that would blow their socks off because I, I think they want one of those two guys and to have the choice at either of them, I think that's going to be too tempting for them to pass up.
1: So now we have a a scenario here uh, where you've got Wyatt Davis, Alex Leatherwood, a guy who tested very well, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Recently, you've got Landon Dickerson, the Alabama center. You've got a couple of edge players and linebackers. You do have uh, the other (laughs) LSU wide out, Terrace Marshall. Um, I you know, I, I just looking at it. I'm I'm really focusing in on Wyatt Davis and Alex Leatherwood at this spot here, John. I, mm-hmm. I think more so just because of the Riley Reef edition, Wyatt Davis. But um, you know, I I could be convinced either way, and you know, it's just. Uh, you know, I, I could be convinced either way there, but those are the, I, I guess when you look at need and we talked about guard here in the last, <laughs> the last segment extensively, um, that's, that's where my eyes obviously focus.
2: Right. And I'm, I'm honestly not even looking at JC Horn there. Like I'm, there's no way after what he just yeah. did yeah. at yeah. South Carolina's pro day, he jumped like 130 something inch uh, broad jump, 11, 11 foot vertical brand of like a four three. He's, he's a first round lock, but I do think like, you're right. Why Davis and Leatherwood are the guys that they're gonna be looking at in this situation. And just 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 for the sake of what what could have happened and had they taken Sewell, like if you're confident in Riley Reef as your right tackle and you just want to keep him there regardless, then you're probably plugging Sewell in at right guard with the hopes that he just moves out to right tackle, kind of like the like the inverse of the opposite side of what they did with Whitworth, where he started left guard, moved into left tackle. I think that would be the ideal scenario to find someone in round two that can do that same thing. I I think Samuel Cosme can potentially be here but in this case he is not so i think the guy that i would look to next is alex leatherwood who just had a monstrous pro day at alabama he's extremely explosive extremely fast but i do believe that dame brugler of the athletic has him listed as a guard and i think if you start him at guard in his rookie year see how he does and if you still need a need at right tackle he can fill that need but i think he played guard early in his alabama career he's played guard and tackle i think that would be where I would lean towards here, just because he has that positional versatility over White Davis, and also he isn't uh, recovering from injury like White Davis is.
1: I, I, you've talked me into that a little bit because I was gonna, in some of my show prep here, the thing I was gonna tell you is if, you know, if the Bengals do not go with a tackle at five, whether it's Sewell or what have you, if the, whether they trade out and move back or whether they wait until round two, round three, you're going to want a player then that has versatility, a guy that you could potentially start at guard and then groom them to move into the tackle spot to supplant Reef at the end of his career. And to your point, you know, it seems as if Leatherwood is a guy that fits that mold. So maybe that's the pick there. And we know the Bengals like Alabama players. So I, I think that would be... You can't can't really go wrong in this one, but I I think I'm with you on Leatherwood on the on this pick here.
2: The, the card is turned in. Okay. We had some more tackles go off the board, Liam Eichenberg, along with um Do you think
1: Do you, I'm sorry, do you think do you think Leatherwood lasts to round two based on some of the stuff here? I, I mean I know this simulator had him doing it, but
2: I think on the only way is that if like it's like last year where there's just a lot of tackles that go and maybe teams aren't sure where he plays. I think for the most part teams are gonna have him at tackle. I don't I don't really know why Bruegler has him listed as a guard. But yeah, if the position is truly that deep and teams treated like that, then maybe you know there's a run on tackles and he just happens to be the one left out. I think if you're the Bengals you're in a very similar spot where last year, where you're probably going to get someone that you have graded as a first round player, like a T Higgins last year, that kind of falls to you. And I think Leatherwood would definitely qualify as that. Yeah.
1: So Deami Brown is a, an interesting player. uh, Yeah. uh, That's available at the top of, of the third round. You know, you've got Greg Newsom, another uh, solid corner. But again, I mean, the Bengals—gosh, how many corners and defensive backs have they brought in this this free agency period? I don't, right. I don't know that that's so much a pressing need at this point. Where uh, Ed, I saw a couple of edges up here. Uh, you well, know, the Pittsburgh Weaver. guys, Weaver. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and view that position because at this point, after going offense and offense, you have to think that you know pass rusher is going to be highlighted as one as someone that they target um quincy roach is a guy that's been giving, getting a lot of uh run patrick jones it was one of patrick jones or, or weaver that didn't necessarily test well at pitts pro day i think both were considered to be somewhere around round two targets but um, one of their athleticism uh traits is not doing so well so th- there could potentially be value here i think roach is a guy that a lot of uh, people are familiar with, and also Joe, uh, Joe Tryon. I believe he was at the Senior Bowl. Weaver is PFF's best available edge, but you know th- th- they could go interior defense lineman because they start. I was to go you know, next, yeah.
1: yeah. Maybe check that out. See what we got there an in interior defensive line. Okay, there's yeah. your
2: there's your boy J Two Feely. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and then you've got uh and Nixon, uh, another popular popular. Oh,
2: let's talk about Mil Milton Williams for okay. a second. Um, a Louisiana Tech's pro day, 6'3, 284. I believe he ran like a sub six nine or six eight ish three cone, um, like a four six near four six flat forty. Like this guy's the size of Aaron Donald, and he tested better than Aaron Donald. Um, and there was a report from I think I believe Tony Pauline of Pro Football Network that said that the Bengals were running um him through the drills along with the Dallas Cowboys, and there was rumors that the Bengals would probably draft Williams if he lasted to the top of round three. You don't have a, a backup right now to Larry Ogunjobi, who's a true three technique. If you're looking at someone to, to truly take up the mantle as a future Geno Atkins, this may be, may be around too early because I, I don't think PFF hasn't ranked that high just yet, but I believe in April he's probably going to be taken around this this range.
1: Was this also the young man who was like a wrestling champion of some kind? Did I see, did I see something on that about him he, as well? He
2: may have been that. I, I'm not 100% sure on that, though.
1: Yeah, but he tested just off the charts for his for his position group. That's it that's a really good really good find there, John. Uh I it's it's a little early, but at the same time, you know, round 3, round 4, round 5, that's where you take kind of these project high upside type of guys. So maybe that's maybe that's where they look.
2: I don't know, man. I feel I feel like we we could get away with the, we we could get away with it this time if we if we just wait until round 4. Okay so okay. maybe let's so go maybe back to where he's ranked right okay maybe, maybe, let's go back to let's go back to edge and include defensive alignment. I, I i think i think weaver makes sense as a guy that's probably going to be taken around this this range as a guy who they know is a is a competent edge rusher just fill in a rotational role so are you, are you down with weaver yeah yeah
1: that's all right good let's, go, let's do it he was on the short list for me so that's good
2: <laughs> that Patriots pick is forfeited. Was that the Bengals pick? Or is that... Uh, that...
1: Oh, for the the filming of...
2: Yeah, in the, 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 the Browns the press box. <laughs> so I'm still not
1: seeing as the Bengals pick again. Did, did he get picked, uh, Milton? Let's go. Let's he... find out.
0: He didn't. So
1: yeah, he did not. So Tufeli's there and Milton Williams is there. Who's there? Who's at wide receiver?
2: Another USC guy.
1: Yeah, he's an interesting (laughs) player. Um, some special teams value. Amon Ross, St. Brown does. Uh,
2: Mari Rogers, Senior Bowl standout. Yep. Heard some things about Jonathan Adams Jr. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Dwayne Eskridge, another Senior Bowl standout. Not not a lot of guys that I guess standing out? I don't know about you. Yeah, nothing, you
1: know, blowing your hair back. Amon Ra is a good player, but, you know, I think there may be some other ones at different positions. That uh, Oh, Miners. Yeah, if they,
2: if they want to double dip at O-line, this is a prime spot to do it, and this is a guy that they're 100% going to be interested in. He's listed as a center, but he has experience at guard, too. Anywhere on the interior offensive line, I think you're looking at a one-year development project, but... I, I do think that they're going to take two offensive linemen and I think they're going to be kind of on one of them to start. But I think ideally the guy that you take after a, a Leatherwood or even a Sewell is a guy that you want to groom to start a right guard in 2022. I think this is the year to, to get some long term solutions at offensive line. And with eight picks, I, I would expect them to take two. So if if, if Marinez is still here at, at round four, I think he's definitely in the conversation.
1: Yeah, so I, I say one of the two interior defensive linemen of Tufeily Milton Williams or Miners so far. Those are kind of the three that I'm really looking at here at this point. Uh we don't we don't yeah, we don't we didn't go around beyond. I would have liked to have seen
2: if we got Miners if,
1: <laughs> if one of, which one of those <laughs> interior defensive linemen would we,
2: have been we, we make the rules, do we make the reality? If, if whoever we don't take, we're going to get in round 5 because that's yeah, to go. do. <laughs> There you go. Exactly.
1: Uh I I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Miners. He's a guy that that a lot of people are high on and I just think still if you shore up that offensive line especially with the Trey Hopkins issue um lingering out there and you know questions at at right guard. I don't know. That's that's kind of where I'm being pulled at the moment.
2: I'm down with it because if this does happen in real life, I would love to get Owen Reese on the show. A, a friend that I met down the senior bowl, he coached minors at Wisconsin Whitewater. He's a graduate assistant there. So if he do, if it does happen, we're definitely going to have to get him on the show because I'm sure he, he knows some personal stories. So let's go ahead and make the pick.
1: Okay. And then we're going to go through the rest. So we only did four rounds. Probably as we do this again, John, or we could do more of a, a full,
2: as we get closer Ryan. to the
1: draft, a full full class there. Um, tough pick there though there are some quality names that that could have been in the mix
2: right and and that's also a spot where they could trade down because the the players that they have to pick from are just marginal and differences so that's another thing that they're gonna have to gonna have to consider so at the end of the day pff gives us a b plus for three of the picks and the overall grade giving us a c plus for for picking rashad weaver
1: Okay, so we've got Jamar Chase at five. Alex Leatherwood, the tackle, maybe guard out of Alabama at the top of the second. We did not make any trades, by the way, which definitely could be a possibility. Rashad Weaver, uh, pick number 69 in the third round, the edge player out of Pittsburgh. And Quinn Miners, a quick uh, guy becoming a quick favorite of a lot of people, uh, interior offensive lineman, a guy that can probably play a couple of different positions, maybe even help you get past the Trey Hopkins issue if there is a setback there. Those are the four picks we made this time around. I'm, I I think overall that's pretty solid, both hitting needs and getting good players uh, for, for the team because these are the areas that I, they, I think they still need some help. Obviously, interior defensive line, they could use help. They could probably use another wide receiver, John, but first four picks, it's a pretty decent haul.
2: I, I don't love doing a ton of these things because I think at this point like they, they kind of spoiled us where we just do these things constantly and we always try to find the best one. And then when the actual draft happens, we're always a little bit underwhelmed. Cause like, yeah, I could have done better in the sim. So All I right. feel like if this if this actually happens, like that's four really talented players that they were able to get without maneuvering around the draft, like this, I think would be a, a very solid haul and one that a lot of Bengals fans should appreciate.
1: Do you do you think the Bengals trade at some point? What's your best telling <sighs> you on that one?
2: You never count them out in day two. Like they've always loved to trade down in round two. I'm surprised they didn't do it last year. I'm sure they had offers, but when they have a guy in T. Higgins that they have a first round grade on, it's hard, I guess, to move away from that. Um, because they are not at the top of the rounds anymore, I think there's a smaller chance, especially now they have one more pick. But I do think that there's a there's a potential chance. You know, if they don't trade down in round one, which it, it could happen depending on who gets picked uh, in the first four picks, it, it's all I think it's always a possibility.
1: The only way I think it really happens at pick five is if the scenario plays out kind of like what we saw there, where there's a number of kind of blue chip players because of a run at quarterback or what have you, there's a number of blue chip players that are just there that they think they can move back a couple of spots, get a pick and, or get a few picks and still get one of those guys that they have atop their board. But I just, i worry like hell man if they do that (laughs) and all of a sudden you know you move back four spots and you know the uh, you move back four spots and all of a sudden you know all of the guys that you kind of wanted at the top of your board are, are picked right in front of you and we've seen that happen with the Bengals a couple times not necessarily top five but it's happened
2: and, and that random that randomness bar that PFF has, like that's always at least in the, like the percent percentile in real life. You know, you never know when a clean Cleveland Farrell is going to go fourth overall. You never know when Daniel Jones is going to get picked over or over um, Dwayne Haskins. There will always be something that kind of takes takes you by surprise, but you never really expect that with the Bengals. They like they they typically stick to the consensus, but you know whether you want to accept it or not. And now they have a chance to draft in twenty nineteen the top off- offensive tackle in the draft in twenty twenty the top quarterback in the draft, and in 2021, either the top tackle or the top receiver. I think they're going to do one of those things. If Unless they get something so ridiculous and they get maybe like a feature first and multiple second-round picks to take them out of that elite blue-chip area, I think that's where you're going to end up seeing them.
1: Before we drop the mic and get out of here, John, one last kind of thought and a question for you. If the Bengals did this, what we're seeing in these first four picks, Chase, Leatherwood, Weaver, Miners, and say they don't do very much much of anything else in free agency going forward, maybe a couple of additions here and there. What, how are you feeling about the team going in going into the the season with with these kind of top picks headlining the class, what they've done in free agency? i mean how much how much does this kind of move the needle for you when you bring in a chase, a leatherwood, a weaver, a miners, I guess at this point, moving into the regular season for you?
2: It moves the needle a lot more than what anything they could do in free agency now, and that's obvious. You know, that's two really good players at the top of the draft that you're expecting to start. But that's th- those are your two biggest holes: it's right guard, future right tackle, and then wide receiver. They need both of them pretty pretty equally in terms of importance, and I think that's how they're gonna attack the draft. That's how they set themselves up, and every team kind of knows it, and every free agent out there knows it as well. So, you know, you're filling your entire starting lineup on both sides of the ball. You already pretty much did that with defense, and now you're, you're, doing, you're doing it with offense, and you're going and establishing a young core on offense with those important positions, and you're filling the, the defense with a lot of veterans who know the system and are getting to know each other. I think they're in a better position than they were last year, but it's also hard to compare because they were so injured last year, which is always the case. It, it, it's never going to be a fair one-to-one comparison because you're always comparing a Bengals team that was injured and now they're going into the season hoping to stay healthy. If they suffer more injuries, I don't know exactly if the depth that they have all around the roster is going to be enough to keep them afloat like it does with other teams. But I think you're pretty damn confident, at least the, the the starting the top layer of this roster going forward.
1: Yeah, at that point, you know, you brought in. Riley Reef, you've brought in Quentin Spain, you've brought in Alex Leatherwood, you brought in Quinn Miners to help with the offensive line and, you know, you would hope with the com- those four with the combination of Frank Pollock would would help things. I'd be pretty stoked on on these picks here hitting both needs and, you know, high-level players at that, that needs good value I think overall. So, I by the way, there's all, you know, there's always the that person's never going to be there. You're 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 dreaming if that player is at that pick and every year there are guys that fall. There are guys that go way earlier. There are guys that the, the we think what we think we know at this point in time, there are many instances, not necessarily frequently, I guess, but there are many instances where players, who was, who was the tackle last year? The Houston tackle, Josh, uh, Josh Jones, Josh Jones. Everybody wanted him top around two, And he lasted all the way into the night of, of night, night two. And everyone's going, what's going on? What's going on? And, and, the Bengals didn't pounce, as did a lot of teams. There, there are players that you are, we are all certain are going to be Andrew Billings. Another, you know, everybody thought the Bengals were going to take him in the first round. He lasted all the way to the fourth round. I mean, it's just what we think we know at this point doesn't always take place. But uh, that's it's just always a fun debate. As as is using the simulators, you know, these things are cool. So good stuff. Thanks for using the Manning the the controls on the simulator there,
2: John. Good Let's afternoon. get out of here.
1: Yeah, let's get out of here. Drop the mic. What do you got for us?
2: So I want to address something that I saw on Twitter. Um, obviously, uh, some Bengals fans—they they knew who Malik Wright was entering this Regency. I remember last year he had a scoop on a player that the Bengals interviewed at the combine, and we like credited him on Cincy Jungle, And he reached out to me, and said, "Hey, th- thanks for the shout out, but you know, p- please get my company name right." Or like my company name is the Right Way Sports Network. Never really forgot him from there, and and I appreciate him kind of reaching out to me. And getting that straight out, but I've been following him ever since, and it's been really great to see him, you know, explode on Twitter and, and gain this follow following. I believe he got a shout out from NFL insider Mike Garofalo for nailing the Eli Apple um, signing. But there was also some stuff I didn't really like to see um, between him and some fans and a couple of beat reporters to the Bengals, including good friend of the show Ben Baby. Um, there, there was an interaction with I, I think it was Tyler Dragon. Who either didn't really know who Malik Wright was and didn't really say exactly the right thing for what that time was, but it was essentially not really giving Malik the credit that you know he deserved for what he the work that he's been doing for agency. And then every everyone kind of attacked uh, Tyler and Ben for you know just being like I guess I don't know pretentious or for, or just not you know being respectful to Malik. And I, I just want to say from, from both sides, you know, definitely respect Malik for the things that he's done. He's basically an, an entrepreneur. He's building his own business. He's established his own connections within the Bengals organization. He's done a great job and is connected with the fans as well. And also at the same time, you know, Ben and Tyler, they have jobs to do as well. Their, their jobs are not the same as Malik. These guys have to go through Bengals PR. That's why they have access to these press conferences you know, there's there's ways to handle st- stuff like this and you can take away for what they should or shouldn't have done. But I, I didn't like to see the attacks on Ben and Tyler. Those guys are doing their jobs. And, you know, sometimes you're not always aware of who you're interacting with and who you're tweeting at and who you're saying things about. But, you know, I, Malik handled it great. You know, it's respect all around. There, there's no hard feelings with that. But I just didn't really like to see everyone kind of attacking these guys for, you know, just 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 doing their jobs. Basically it's, it's not Tyler dragon or Ben baby's responsibility to get these scoops like Malik writes doing like what, what Malik is doing. It's fun. It's great, but it's not the standard for this industry, especially guys that have to have who are in contact with the Bengals organization on a daily basis, they're, they're pitching Emily Parker for stories. They have to have these relationships with, with these team personnel members to do their jobs properly. Everyone does it differently. Everyone comes up differently. Everyone has a different background and stuff like that. So, you know, it's great for what Malik is doing, but I also think there should be still be some respect for the work that Tyler and Ben do, even though they don't do it the same way.
1: Well said. Can't, can't, uh, can't really add much to that. you you pretty hit the nail pretty much on the head on that one, John. And uh, it's been fun to see Malik have this cool ascension of on Twitter. If you follow him on Twitter, you know, he's had it's really I mean, he's always had a pretty good little following. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's really just kind of exponentially grown his following based on the the news or hints. or And he's kind of doing it in a fun way. So, you know, uh, he's 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 entertaining. We got to get him on the show sometime. That'd be fun. Um, that would be fun. Yeah, we we should reach out to him, get him on the show. That'd be fun. Uh, I just want to say, just give a couple of shout outs to some other shows. I know you uh, were on uh, Sports with Strawberry Ice. I was on Mm -hmm. a couple of times. Um, I made a mistake when we talked about it the other day. I said, Jeff and Justin's, Jeff and Jeremy, Jeff and Jeremy, great guys. And you had fun with them recently as well, right?
2: Absolutely. It's always fun to hang out with guys from the West side.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're great guys, and we appreciate their courtesy. So go check out their channel. They they do a lot of great work. And then I had the uh, immense pleasure of being on another podcast earlier today. So go check it out. It is uh, from a couple of guys. They are Ravens fans. I know, I know, I know. But it's four ten sports talk. It's on YouTube. Uh, a couple of other. I, I was the I was the low man on the totem pole in terms of clout. On this show, Jeff Risden, who works for the the Browns Wire USA Today, he's been around for a long time. He was on the show, and Christopher Carter, who does uh, Locked On Steelers and whatnot, he was on the show. So it was kind of a cool round table, and we just had some fun with it. Go check it out; it was a fun show, kind of talking some AFC North football. Those guys are are good guys there too, but appreciate them having us on both those shows, having us on. It's, it's been a lot of fun. So that's going to do it for us, though. A uh, lot we we this this show blew by we got to a lot though and it was a lot of fun john have a good week man uh any any big plans coming up for you this week besides your ongoing great coverage of the team through cincyjungle.com
2: no great plans and it's probably because i i'm, I'm hearing some word that there's like a tornado warning coming not not to freak anybody out in cincinnati but this is, it is that time we're getting like weather in the 70s so naturally everything starts to go off the walls it's spring in cincinnati winds are starting to come so definitely stay safe if if stuff like that does happen over the weekend,
1: yeah, please do. Thanks everyone for tuning in live. Thanks for downloading After the Fact. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Kazenza. That's, yeah, by, by the way, my name's Anthony Kazenza. Gosh, stumbling over my <laughs> own. I love that. Take it easy, everybody. Have a good week.